Amen. That's good. All right, I'm glad y'all are here. We got a lot of people out. Um, John is obviously out. He's in a surf contest down in Florida. You know, he does those things. Um, he's big into that stuff. Uh, and he's doing a missions trip as well. So be in prayer for them. Uh, obviously, I got a lot of college students out there uh, on spring break. And if you are unfortunately have to be here because you got school or whatever, feel bad for you. But uh, we're glad you're here. We're thankful you're here. Um, and then uh, we had our women's retreat this weekend, and they look—they look, all look tired and uh, sleepy this morning uh, because they stay up late, right? Y'all stayed up real late every night doing whatever women do late, talking most likely. Um, and so they're, uh, they're back, and uh, they just had a really phenomenal weekend from what I understand, and We've been going through this series about hope, and specifically hope connected to the resurrection. Uh, and that, that, that our whole year has just been focused around hope. And um, as we come to Easter, we're kind of preparing our hearts for what it is to like really think on the resurrection and what that means to us, and uh, and what Jesus did for us through that. And so we're going to continue on just kind of looking at resurrection stories. Uh, remember last week, John talked about this resurrection story of. Um, uh, Elisha raising up uh, the the uh, the widow's son and and um, the hope that was in that. And this week we're going to look at another resurrection story, actually a well-known one, um, Lazarus. Y'all probably all know that story. And uh, really, maybe we'll go back to just some of the basics and kind of look at some things. And hopefully, we can paint a little bit of a fresh picture. And I hope it's insightful for you as we kind of work through it. And really, just looking at what it is to go from death to life, y'all know Lazarus story it was this guy that was dearly loved by Jesus and uh, he he gets sick and he's raised to life and Jesus raises him to life and it's one of these uh, it's this really neat picture for us of what it is to go from death to life so as we work through this I really want to look at it as a picture of what it is to be dead and then moving into a resurrection life you know so um, as we work through it we'll kind of stop and and go and just kind of work through this picture that the Lord is painting for us so John 11 John 11 is where we start and we're going to read most of this story but John 11 starts off with Lazarus Um, being ill and so now a certain man was ill Lazarus of Bethany the village of Mary and her sister Martha it was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair y'all remember that story where um, Mary anointed Jesus's feet with with oil um, and became this this family that was intimately connected to Jesus um, whose brother was Lazarus, was ill or sick. So the sisters sent him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. He's sick. Jesus, come back. But when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death. It is through the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. So he's already speaking prophetically what's going to happen, and you kind of get the foreshadowing of what's going to happen. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. So that doesn't quite make sense, right? It's like... Uh, 
this person I love a lot, you know, like I might as well just stay away a little bit longer, maybe so I don't catch the sickness, you know, or whatever's going on, I don't want it, I'll just bring him back to life when he dies. So, <laughs> I doubt that was his thing. But this is obviously a story for the, he's going to let him die for the glory of God and, and raise him up. So, after this, 11, after saying these things, he said to him, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. Uh, the disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, will he not recover? Now Jesus, and he prefaces his, now you, you dummies, Catch this, what I'm saying. Now, Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he meant taking a rest and sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, that means, uh, catch what's going on here, guys. Lazarus has died for your sake, and I am glad that I was not there so that, he, that you may believe. But let us go to him. So Thomas called the twin and said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. Thomas, they just never get it, you know, so let's pray. Lord, I just am so thankful for um, this story that you've placed in the Bible, and as we're studying the resurrection and what it is, what it means for us, Lord, I pray that we would see Lazarus' story and see this picture that's been painted for us, and just um, what, I, as, as Robbie was praying, it's that we're hidden away in Christ, and we find that resurrection power living in us, Lord, and you are performing a resurrection within our own lives, Lord. I pray that we would take hold of that, even this morning, and the, the bondage, the strongholds that we have in our life would see and meet the power of Jesus this morning, and people would be released from those things, and they would find themselves in Jesus. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, I kind of want to work through briefly just what it is to be a uh, dead man. I mean, I was, uh, about six, uh, six years ago, seven years ago, I did the first, it, now it's become really popular, but I would like to say I was the first to ever do a sermon on zombies and their correlation to us is, uh, uh, before the show Walking Dead even came out, I, I did a sermon on the Walking Dead. And um, it's going to be kind of similar, what it is to be dead men walking, essentially. And uh, um, I, I really want you to look at what it is to be to become um to move into this place of death and the effects of death is that me am i hitting that brett i'm sorry um and and so you begin to see it always starts death always starts out with somebody getting sick right healthy people never die if you're perfectly healthy you never die, right? But it, it, in some form or fashion, it's going to start out with somebody getting sick. Um, and so you see, you see, uh, you see Lazarus come down with something. I don't know what it is. The scripture doesn't necessarily explain it, but Lazarus gets sick. Ephesians 2.1 says this, and you were dead in your trespasses and your sins. Um, and then even Leviticus 13 it's a really interesting passage if you're, if you're interested in like the progression of sin in our lives and different things like that. We're not going to spend a whole lot of time there, but Leviticus 13 talks about leprosy, right? This really kind of gross, gross disease um, and what leprosy is like. And leprosy starts out, it's a really interesting picture that we get. Leprosy starts out as just like a small dot, a, a bump. It starts out as something that's just like an ingrown hair even. Um, so leprosy could be any anything like turn to your neighbor and maybe ask him do you have any ingrown hairs um going on and and if they do they may need to get checked out for leprosy 
Uh, no. So if a person had anything like that going on, a small bump, a small boil, any kind of dot on their skin, they were supposed to go to the priest immediately because it could turn into something bigger in their life. And what this Leviticus 13 is trying to paint this picture of is sin is, can be kind of like that in our lives. Any place that sin starts to get into our lives, it starts out as something small always, right? The sin in our life never starts out as something big. Like I never start out as an, as an alcoholic necessarily, right? Or I never start out as um, uh, embezzling money. It's always the little things, you know, like I'm taking a little, uh, a little extra from the cash register today, you know, because I deserve it, and uh, it's just a quarter or two, you know, I need to pay off, you know, this pack of gum I just bought, you know, I just took from the register, I stole it as well, you know, it never starts out as something big, right? It always starts out as something small, like leprosy was that thing that started out very small. It started out just as a bump on their skin. Uh, in the same way, Lazarus just starts out sick. He starts out sick, and sin starts out as something small that eventually leads to something bigger in our lives, something much bigger. And then we see, continuing on, um, in 17, now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Uh, Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off. And many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But, but Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again. And in the resurrection, the last days, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She has said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming in, into the world. So this sickness led to something bigger, right? It led to his actual death. Uh, Lazarus actually does die. And so we see that it leads to something bigger in his life. And, um, and they're kind of struggling to deal with it. And Jesus is proclaiming this thing's going to actually lead to the glory of God. Now, now Lazarus actually does die you, you see it happen you see it take place and you see the struggle of they're trying to work through what's exactly happening here and then in Ephesians 2 2 through 3 I want you to catch this in which you once walked following the course of the world following the prince of the power of the air the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience among whom uh we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and we were by nature children of, of wrath, like the rest of mankind. So our sickness, it takes us down this path, right? It takes us down this place to eventually ending in death. It will take us down this road to where we end up in destruction. And you've got to see even... 
Um, oh, Lazarus further down the road. This is 33. When Jesus saw her weeping, the Jews had come with her also weeping. He was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. He said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, said see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind also have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus moved again, came to the tomb. It was, it was a cave. A stone lay against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor. Or some versions say, he stinketh. He stinketh, for he has been dead for four days. So Ephesians 2 says, like, our, our sins will take us down this path, and it will take us to a tomb where we're, where we're locked away in, the, in, this, in this place. And there's some, you know, there's some interesting just attributes of dead people, right? There's some interesting things about dead people. They're pretty, it's pretty obvious, right? Like, dead people, they don't see, right? They no longer see right? You don't see anything, you know, you're blind, whatever. You're dead. Blind people don't hear. I mean, dead people don't hear. Did I say blind people don't? I, don't, I, got, I confused myself. Anyway, dead people don't hear. Dead people don't see. Another thing that's really interesting, dead people really stink. Dead people stinketh. Or uh, dead people have an odor coming from them. I, ma- I kind of imagine the scene. I mean, I've kind of experienced this recently. Like Brooks, Brooks sometimes, like, he takes this nap that's a little bit longer um, than, than at other times. And I know when he's taking a longer nap, anybody have children know about this, what's going on back there? Typically, they're doing their business back there, you know? And so when I come and open the door, this stinketh smell hits me in the face. It's terrible. It's the worst smell ever. Like, you open the door and you're like, whoa, where did that come from? You're just a small child. You really stinketh. You've got an odor. And, and so, but dead people have that smell. I imagine just Jesus rolling back the tomb and being like, holy cow, that really stinks. And so, but dead people stinketh uh, or have an odor to them. In the same way, uh, our sin, as Ephesians 2 says, that um, we're, when we're led by our passions, when we go down this road of sin and it leads to a death, and we find ourselves like blind and we can't hear, and, and everything that we do within the nature of sin ends up stinking up the place so that the, the, the world that we've entered into, wherever we're at, we end up just making a mess of everything and, and nothing is refreshing to anybody because we're just dead people um, walking around. It's like when a person had leprosy, what would happen with this leprosy? It would begin as a boil, but it eventually would go to a place where it would end up, it, it would end up attacking their extremities, the, like it would, their, their different parts uh, of their body. So they'd end up blind, and they'd end up in a place where they, their ears are falling. It sounds really gross. It is gross, but they would end up in this place of their ears are falling off, and they can no longer smell. And what's really happening in their body, leprosy actually affects their nerve endings. Okay, and so if you come, if you see a person who's who's leprous, they they're losing their ability to feel things around them, 
And often what happens is they've stuck their hands into a fire or they've, they've run into something and they're not, they're not aware of it. And so what happens is their actual flesh is like getting um, beat up and, and they're not taking care of themselves and they don't know and they got, it's really gross. I don't want to go down all the way down there, but they're losing their ability to feel. And dead people... People walking in sin who are following after the passions of this world eventually lose their ability to feel. And, and, and this is kind of gross. I don't want to get too graphic. But like leprous people, eventually start to really stinketh. You know, they start to really stink. And, and what's interesting even about this word, um, in, in which you once walked in Ephesians 2, 2 through 3, you once walked. The word actually there means almost like meander. It means meander. It, meander, do you know like what meander means? It means like to kind of walk without purpose, right? You're just, I'm just a dead person walking. I'm just a dead person walking. Uh, you know, like y'all, y'all remember the, the, the Monty Python skit, you know? Probably the young people are too young for um, Monty Python. But what do they say, Ricky? Do you remember? Like, bring out your dead, and they slap themselves in the face, you know, that's kind of it. Like, they're just meandering around. They've got no purpose. Like, dead people end up getting to a place, and leprous people in particular, would just get to the place where it's like, I'm done. What's the point? There's no more hope in this world. I've got nothing left. I've got, I'm, I'm so disfigured and so messed up, and everywhere I go, like, I'm destroying the places I go. I'm not allowed to touch anybody anymore. I'm, I'm completely cast off from this place. And, and, and what's the point anymore? They just meander around. They, they just walk around. They would just walk around huddled in their groups. And, and ultimately, this is the biggest thing. This is the biggest thing. And this is kind of where I deviate from leprous people. <coughs> the greatest the greatest um, death, a point of death, is our sin leads us down a road where this life is just a mess and our passions lead us to places that are just um, going to cause dysfunction and chaos and, and, and odor and all of those things. But the greatest, the greatest part of death is there's going to be a separation in the end. There's going to be a separation to where our sin leads us to a place where our final state is separated from the only person that has life. The final place we find ourselves is separated from Christ Jesus. Now, I don't know, I don't know like, where Lazarus was exactly. Like, I'm, I'm kind of like, confused about that because it says to be like, absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So I don't know if like, Lazarus like, got up to heaven and there was no Jesus and he was like, I'm coming back to this earth because Jesus isn't there right now. You know? Or if he was just like, really confused about the whole situation when he got up there. I mean, are you all tracking with me? I mean, like, Lazarus had to be kind of confused when he dies and goes to paradise and he's like I'm I'm ready to meet Jesus and he's like Jesus is back on earth oh great I've got to come back to life just to go see him you know so I'm sure there was like this this um I, I don't know where Lazarus was exactly but the picture that we get is that there was this separation between 
Jesus and Lazarus and death would, had separated them. And, and you see in Jesus' heart a longing to be reunited with Jesus. You, you're getting, beginning to get this picture that Jesus uh, longed to be reunited with Lazarus. And so he had to actually wake him up. He had to resurrect him. He had to bring him back to life to, to, and bring him out of the tomb to actually meet back up with them again. So that was, that's really interesting to me. In our sin, if we stay in our sin without a resurrection, we will be led down a path that ends in death and ends in separation. But catch this, Ephesians 2. 4 through 6. It says, But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So catch this resurrection that takes place. Jesus said to her, this is verse 40, Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed, you w- would I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Jesus lifted up his eyes. He prayed to, before the Father, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me. But I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. When he said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out! The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen stripes, strips, and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. That's really cool to me. But you initially see, even going back, the, the shortest verse in the Bible. What's it, the shortest verse in the Bible? Jesus wept, right? You see the mercy of God on a dead man. You see the mercy of God of desiring to be back in relationship with Lazarus. You see God's mercy when he's going along, that it grown deeply within him. And I think part of why Jesus wept was that he saw the effects that sin has on people's lives. He saw what sin can do and how it wreaks havoc in relationships, how it rips people apart, how it creates this dysfunction and this disorder. And, and I think Jesus had mercy on them. I think Jesus had this desire to restore what was lost. Jesus saw, in his, you see in Jesus' heart, this desire to have mercy and to see a resurrection and redemption take place. And in the same way, when we're in our sin, Jesus has this desire as we're cut off from the Lord. Jesus has this desire to restore that relationship that, that could be. Jesus has this desire to see us restored back to him. And ultimately, he's going to get all the glory out of it. And so, Jesus takes mercy on this situation. But I want you to catch this. This is really important to the story, I think, just in, just in general. Um, I think this is really important. Now, do you see Lazarus... When Jesus calls him out, do you see him saying a prayer? For he's a dead man. 
Did he pray at all? Did he say, I need to say the sinner's prayer that I might be raised from the dead? No, he never prayed that. Now, did he say, I'm going to commit my life to you, Lord Jesus, and then raise me up from the dead? He doesn't do anything like that. Lazarus doesn't do anything like that, right? He's dead. Now, does, does Lazarus come on the, say, uh, the scene and, and say, I'm going to submit my life to you? He doesn't do any of that. Jesus calls, and he responds to the Lord's call. In the same way, we can get confused sometimes. We can get confused about God's call of raising us to the dead. Sometimes we think that, that, that it's, um, it requires something on our part. It's, uh, that it requires some, something. Now I guess, I guess if you were to deconstruct it the whole way, I guess like Lazarus could have been in the tomb and said, Nope, I'm dead, Lord. Just leave me here. Don't worry. I, you know, just shut the stone back. Close it up. I'm just going to stay right in my tomb. I'm perfectly good, you know, where I'm at. And some of us, you know, definitely do that to some degree. But, um, but Jesus just calls and he responds and receives the, the free gift that the Lord has put before him. There was nothing that this dead man could have, have done to be raised to life. There was nothing he could do. There was nothing that, that Lazarus could do. He couldn't submit to this Lord's, uh, the lordship of God. He couldn't submit to any of that. He was a dead man. There was no prayer he could say. And then you see Lazarus resurrected. And this is where we'll make a transition from what it is to be a dead man to be a man made alive. And this is what's really cool. What's the first thing that you see Jesus do when he's resurrected? He says, take off those burial clothes. Take off those death clothes you got going on. Unbind him. Unshackle him from the things that he's tied to. He came out of the grave kind of looking still. He's obviously walking and talking now. He's, he's, he's got all the attributes. He's back alive. He's resurrected. He's back with Jesus. But he's still got some burial clothes. Now here's what we understand about the resurrection, right? That one day we're going to be resurrected to, to be with God. Now it's appointed uh, for once man to die and then he's with the Lord and then after a period of time it would seem like Jesus is going to res- resurrect our bodies you know this this body and it's going to be what it should be I'll have hair I've talked about this before uh, you know like all these things will be made back right our bo- and whatever our body is going to be like I don't understand but here's the hope of the resurrection is that it's not only out in the future completely but we can experience the resurrection personally now and be unbound and unshackled from the burial clothes that we were wearing when we went into the grave and so we see in this life the putting off are getting out of those burial clothes. And I think this is incredibly important to the resurrected life because a lot of us walk around in those old burial clothes. And what are the old burial clothes? You know, it's kind of obvious, our flesh. Our flesh is going to die. It's going to burn up. It's going to be completely removed. Our flesh keeps us in bondage at times, but the resurrection power of the Lord is to remove the flesh completely. 
to take a, so some of us this morning are caught up in bondage in some ways. Some of us this morning are caught up in, in different things, right? Like we struggle with anger or frustration and the, and the enemy's got a stronghold in our lives. The enemy's got certain strongholds with, um, discontent. I'm always, I, I, I'm always desiring for this next thing or that next thing. I never find contentment in just being in the Lord. For some of us, our struggles are a little bit bigger. It may be like you're struggling with, with uh, drugs and alcohol, you know, or, or maybe it's a, a struggle with pornography and lust and those different things. The, the Lord's power is great to see you unshackled from those things, to see the bondage broken in your life. And we're, I just want to go through a couple things of seeing what it is to be in the resurrected life, to live as a resurrected man. You see Lazarus going from, uh, from death to life, and the Lord's doing the same thing within your lives. First point about a resurrected life. First point, you need a new life, that, and I stole this phrase from John Corson, you need a, a new life completely. You need regeneration, not reformation. You need regeneration, not reformation. What does that mean? That sounds kind of weird. Excuse me. What, what does refora- reformation mean? Yeah, reforming your own self. So like when I attempt to put my house in order, when I attempt to say, Okay, I've got to get my life right right now. I'm going to get my life right. I'm going to put it together. I'm going to put this thing together. I'm going to, go, I'm going to start going to church. I'm going to start reading my Bible. I'm even going to start reading my Bible to my kids. I'm going to start doing all those things. You're reforming your life. You're trying to put it together. And sometimes it even looks like, I'm going to get right doctrine. I'm going to put my doctrine in order. And that's going to be what's going to unshackle me from my bondage. You know, like, uh, I'm going to put my life together. And, and that always, and somebody asked me this week, why do so many people have these ups and downs, these ups and downs, these ups and downs? It's because we spend so much time trying to put our life in order instead of living in a new life provided in Jesus. So, so I spend this time trying to put those things in order, but Matthew 12 puts it clear, puts it really clear, right? It's about a man who gets his house in order and he casts out an evil spirit out of the house, right? And he, and he sweeps it all up and he, he's cleaning your house. Isn't that what we all do, right? Or is that just me when I feel like my life is out, of, is stressful? Anyway, I clean my house. What ends up happening to my house? Uh, it ends up a bigger mess most of the time a week later than before I had it the same way. This Bible story says the same thing. It says a man kicks this evil spirit out of his house. He gets rid of this shackle that he has going on. He gets rid of this bondage, this, this thing that's going on. And he puts his house in order. He puts his house in order. And what ends up happening? Seven spirits more evil than before come and fill the house. And you know this to be true because every time you've tried to, you've gotten on a spiritual high maybe or different things, and you say, I'm going to go and do this thing, it ends up in a worse place than before. You end up in the, and more shackled, more in bondage than before. But Jesus says this very clearly, that the life that you need is Jesus' life. Because, see, Jesus 
did have everything in order. Jesus did go to church perfectly. Jesus did pray perfectly. Jesus did live this life perfectly. Jesus, the life that you need is not yours to be fixed. You need a whole new life. Romans 6 says this, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into this death? So we buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in a newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like this, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one has died, has, been, has set us free from sin. Hallelujah. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we also will live with him. Amen. So this is how, this is how things change, right? This is how things change in your prayer life. What do you pray for when you're struggling with things? Lord, give me what? Strength. You know, Lord, help me with this. Lord, help me work through this. That's a bad prayer. Okay, I'm learning this myself. That's a real bad prayer. Because can the Lord bless that prayer? He can. He, what, we need is, what our prayer needs to be is, Lord, let me die to this thing. Lord, let me die to this thing and let your life take over. That's what I need. I need a new life completely. I can't, the Lord can't honor this prayer. He can't prop up dead things anymore in my life. He can't, he's not going to strengthen those things in in me that are evil. I need a new life completely. Now, this is the second part of this, of getting free of bondage. So the, the first one is, is just that you need a new life in Christ. And you kind of see what it is to, to change your, thought, uh, your process a little bit and to say, Lord, I really need your presence, not mine. Um, and the second thing is your life is insepar- inseparably tied to Christ's life. Your life is is inseparably tied to Christ's life now. There's nothing that can separate you from Christ. And that spirit that lives within you, this is what Romans 1.4 says. It says, let me get it, and was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by His resurrection from the dead. Jesus Christ our Lord. So I want you to see something here. That the resurrection power and the spirit of holiness are tied together. They're inseparable. As Christ who dwells within us, the spirit of holiness and the resurrection that the Lord is trying to perform in your own lives are inseparable. So not only is God giving you a new life, but through the power the, uh, the same power that raised Christ from the dead, but Jesus is giving you power over sin to be holy. He says further on, but, but as he who called, this is First Peter 1, 15 through 16, 
But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. It's not saying, the, the, the Lord's not saying, hey, you need to be holy. He's saying, you are holy because I am holy. And if you exist within me, if, if Christ exists within you and you exist within him, then you are going to be inseparably tied to the spirit of holiness that is working out its power within you. Because sometimes we think, right, that the grace that exists within us, the grace that God gave us, uh, is, is something that is passive. We think that it's something that is, is just, we receive it, and it's just there, and the grace, uh, that's real nice. One day I'm going to be in heaven, you know, with the Lord, and that's going to be great, you know. That's kind of our thinking sometimes, right? But we've got to understand that the grace that God has given us is not passive, but is actually active. So grace it doesn't sit there and just sit there. It's like a seed that comes and bears fruit within our lives. It becomes dynamic. It is no longer stagnant. And there's many things that are grace, and they're all given through the Spirit that dwells within us, that's driving us towards holiness, that ends up looking like loving people better, loving the, the Lord better, all those things that I can't do on my own. For if, this is six, once, one through seven again. For if, or we have, starting in four, for if we have been united with him in death like this, we shall certainly be united with him in the resurrection like this. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. So, how do we find freedom from these burial clothes, this bondage that we might be wearing in this place, in this second point? We need to seek the Lord and figure out, where is their self-will within me? Where is the desire to prop up myself? Where is their desire to, to buck off the rider, you know, that is that Jesus, this leading God and directing me and and resting in me. Where is their places of self-will and self-centeredness? Find ourselves humbled before the Lord and, and submit ourselves before the Lord and say, Lord, I need your power to rule and reign in my life in this thing and, and I need you to, to take over and I need to release that from my life. I need, I need that to be released. So there's self-will. There's, there's things that are trying to prop up self at times. And so we need to release those things. Thirdly, and this is my last point. I'll be all done. God's interests become your interests. God's interests become your interests. This is 6, 12 through 14. Romans 6, 12 through 14. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to take you, to make you obey its passions. The Lord is providing this, this holiness. He's at work within you. Do not present your members to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, for unrighteousness. Present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. And your members to God as instruments of righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you. 
since you are not under the law of grace. So the Lord is proclaiming, not only are you going to be free from from sin, not only are you going to get a new life, and then I'm going to be at work to you, and I'm going to complete this work of holiness. I'm going to do this thing within you. I'm going to give you power over sin. I'm going to provide a resurrection. I'm going to free you from your bondage that you have in your life. But you move from being a person who's meandering around without purpose to your your instruments. What does that mean? It just means that this life is being used by the Lord suddenly. This life has the ability to be useful, right? Because think about it this way. If I come out and I have my burial clothes on, right? And my, and my arms are like tied up. And my feet are tied up. I've got these burial clothes on. I just got these burial clothes on. I'm, I've got this thing like covering my face. Are you going to be useful Can you be useful if you're all shackled? Now, the Lord can do a lot of things, no doubt. He takes sinners all the time and makes them useful. But if you want to see true freedom, it's beginning to be used by the Lord as instruments of righteousness. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Jesus is at work in you. So this is what happens. So I can go to work. I can go to my place of work, whatever, whatever I'm called to, wherever I'm at. I don't need something bigger or, or I don't need to move somewhere else or, or whatever it may be. But the Lord, I'm content and know the Lord is at work in my life in a place that I have the opportunity to be an instrument of righteousness because I'm free to be that for people. You're no longer meandering around. You're no longer working around, oh, I'm a dead person. I'm a dead person. This is what's what's even unique, is I can do the, the, the most small and um, in some ways demeaning task and it can be used by the Lord to be the most useful thing. Because you suddenly have a purpose. You're being used by the Lord. This life, this resurrected life is at the disposal of a God who knows how to use you well. He knows how to use you well. Your life suddenly has a purpose. I really like this passage in 2 Peter 1 through 4, uh, 1, 4 through 8. It says this By which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corrupt, corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue, knowledge, and knowledge, self-control, and self-control, steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful 
in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So if this divine nature is increasing in your life, as you're seeing yourself being unshackled and free to walk around and be used by the Lord and be instruments of righteousness, you will never find yourself in an unfruitful place, no matter the task that you have in front of you. You will always find your work to be something that is being used by the Lord and is fruitful and is going to be meaningful in eternity. Because you're living a resurrected life. So I'll end with this as the, um, as the band comes up. Ephesians just proclaims this. And you know it well. Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and will Christ will shine on you. Listen, some of us are really shackled by some things this morning. Some of us are in like some burial clothes this morning. And we feel tied up, and we feel like we're meandering, and we feel like we're not useful to the Lord. And, and, and you realize that all these things that sin's effects in our lives. And we feel like, and we, we realize that we're really bound up by some things. But the hope of the resurrection is that God has great power to release you from some of those things even today. Even those places. Yeah, one day you are going to be raised from the dead. One day you are going to experience a resurrection in full, in the fullness of God. I'm really excited about that day. I, I long for it all the time. I long to hear that trumpet. That Time to go, you know. I'm really excited about that. Like, I, I live for that. But here's the deal. Like, even now, the Lord is, giving, is, is doing something within your life. And we have the opportunity to live that resurrection life even now. Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the picture of what it is to go from death to life. We're thankful for the picture of what it is to to cast off the burial clothes And maybe some people just need to pray this this morning that they're wrapped up in bondage. I don't know what it is. Maybe maybe just need to find um, their new life in Christ. Lord, maybe there's some things where self-will is propping itself up and self-centeredness drives us and we don't release things to the Lord. Lord, I just pray that we would... um, we would begin to realize the, the glory of Jesus and what he did on the cross and how we can leave our old self in a grave and come to a new life. We can have hope that one day we'll be free and we are being set free. And we have a new spirit that's at work within us doing a new thing. And the image of God is being implanted upon our hearts. Lord, I pray that strongholds would be be released even now from people's lives. That that they would see 
that uh, the, the great power of the Lord, I pray that the bondage that people are in, they'd be released from it. They'd humble themselves before the Lord and just say, Lord, take this from me. Take this, this shackle from me. I need the, your power within me. And I see the devastating effects of sin within my life. I see those things, Lord. It's a mess. I need somebody who can put it together. I need a new life altogether. Lord, we love you. Thank you for your many blessings. In Jesus' name.